Hi, and welcome to the Expositors Collective Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Neglia. This episode is a panel discussion that took place in our Thousand Oaks training weekend. Um, you're going to hear Brian Stipar, Bill Welsh, Nick Cady, and Riley Taylor answer questions uh, from the audience. Um, some of the questions have to do with sermon length, biblical genre, um, should race, the women's march, and the Me Too movement be addressed from the pulpits, um, length, topical sermons, sermon illustrations. You're going to hear these guys give their thoughts on these and more issues. So I hope you enjoy this great episode of the Expositors Collective Podcast. Okay, so we're going to have a panel. That was excellent. Are you staying on the panel? Oh, okay. Um, so we also have, who did I ask? I had Sean Stone, and let's get Bill Welsh up here. And let's get Nick Cady and Brian Stupar. All right. Okay, Josh Transky, take it away. Okay, so this panel, we want to try to focus our questions on the actual act of preaching, homiletics. So exactly what Riley was talking about. Last time we didn't get any of the women didn't ask any questions. So we're going to start off. Come on, there's got to be a woman that wants to start us off here with a good question. Don't be shy. What you want them to you want them to kind of seed the uh, the grounds for? Uh, okay, we can start with a guy over here. And if you could just uh, share your name and then in the context in which you preach. Hi, uh, my name is Garrett. Um, I teach uh, junior high Calvary Oceanside um, every other week and sometimes on Saturdays. So um, in, in terms of forming a message that's clear, concise, and understandable for like a 12-year-old, you know what I mean? You don't want to preach like a 35-minute, 40-minute message, but then sometimes the Lord will just put on my heart to preach a message that's only 25 minutes long. So when it comes to keeping the attention of a, of a kid and also giving them a message that not only sticks with them, but is applicable to their life currently at that stage and will be prevalent throughout the rest of their life, how would you go about um, um, formulating a message and teaching uh, in that duration of time? Well, I mean, I guess the question would be, or how I'd answer that would be, I mean, if you're required to teach a certain amount of time, I don't know, I guess there, there might be that, but sometimes we get hung up on the time, you know, and maybe for you, it's kids, it's 15, but it's like 15 minutes at one point, they're really going to take away. And I've found if you're excited about it, they're going to be excited about it. I mean, that's one of the biggest things, I think, in putting together a message. There's got to be a point, it doesn't matter who you're preaching to, if you're not excited about it, they're not going to be, you know, and I think, it's, you know, time limits are important, and I think, well, I love what you said, you know, going short oftentimes is better. Mark Driscoll can preach an hour, at least he used to anyway, but, um, most people can't. You know, most people can't preach a 10-point sermon and have people, you know, engage. But um, I think getting that point, especially for kids, that you're excited. If it's 25 minutes, great. If it's 30 minutes, great. But, you know, you know who you're talking to and getting that point across, you know, and if it might be three points. And I think it comes back to the text, you know, the text that you're trying to communicate. When it comes alive in your heart, that's when I don't, I mean, I don't get up from the text until something's grabbed me. 
And there's information, and that's important, but there has to be that point when it's got a hold of you and it's going to get a hold of them. I'll just add one thing. Um, I, I told this to my group, that I think that teaching kids is one of the best things you can do to learn how to preach because you have to speak clearly. You have to speak um, yeah, concisely and compellingly. And I found that, especially with kids, but I think adults too, one of the best ways you can speak compellingly is by using a lot of stories. Mm. Bill, you want to add to that, Bill? I would say think like a kid. Mm. Um, go back and channel your inner child. Think like a kid. Um, I think you want to, obviously you want to speak Bible to them. You want to be biblical, but you want to be visual. And um, I preach from the New King James. And I always read the New Living Translation, and I, a lot of times I'll read the message and then edit that. But I, I love the language and the way that that flows, but I, I would look for just, um, just ways to convey simple, you know, succinct thoughts to, to kids, but visuals are, are just amazing. We've got a, a young man in our church that, um, that we had a great, 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 great um, children's ministry, and the woman that led that retired. And um, uh, we hired in a new guy, and it, it was just one of the best hires we've ever done. And he is still, it's as biblical as ever, but it's so visual, and the kids just absolutely love it. He's created all these characters that uh, are representative of the fruits of the Spirit. And, but I, I would say just visual, biblical, and, and do what you can to think like they think. That's good. Let's get the next question. I got a question about <coughs> teaching the different genres of the Bible. Um, we talk about in, in homiletics how you deliver, and we've talked about making points, your points. But the the Bible has a very uh, a, a wide range of genres. You've got poetry, which is very different from history, which is very different from an epistle, which is different from prophecy. How do you uh, form the delivery of your message to match the the feel? of the, the text itself, which can be very different from passage to passage. You want to go with that, Brian? Do you, do you vary your um, teaching style based off of genre? I do. I, I do draw attention to uh, the variation of genre. I think it's an important part just having to do with um, you know, helping people to understand or give them the tools that they need to mm. uh, you know, interpret Scripture and understand Scripture. Um, yeah, I think what what I do is I will draw attention to it. I'll make reference to it. Hey, this genre. Like we just finished the book of Acts, and obviously I think Broderson or someone said earlier that it's it's narrative and it's it's story. You know, I would I would always say so. We're going to listen to story time from Pastor Luke, and we're going to listen to his story unfold. I'm going to just make some variety of comments um, mm -hmm. on what Pastor Luke is telling us about. Um, so. Yes, that's to answer the question. That's that's how I do approach it. And if it's prophecy or um, um, apocalyptic, I'll draw attention to that and explain what that is. I think one of the big things is um, we live in a very Bible illiterate culture and society. People, you know, know and have memorized more lyrics to uh, Katy Perry than Scripture. And um, so I, I think we just can't take things for granted that people understand the proper tools and how to interpret scripture. So um, I'm constantly reminded. Um, I live in a college town. A lot of our um, people in our church are student age. 
Um, so I'm constantly reminded of needing to help equip them to understand like what type of um, literature that we are reading of scripture and different ways of which how we read this and why this is important and you know we don't read um, um, uh, Lord of the Rings the same way that we, we read the onion or Babylon Babylonian B or whatever it is you know um, but they both have value right um, but we don't read them the same way so I, I think that's what I try to contribute to helping others to understand it So um, that's a really good question because the hardest genre, I think, is the Proverbs. It's like, I don't even know what to say about this. Read it. There you go. Bye, you know. Um, so, uh, but, yeah, you're right. Each genre has, like, a different vibe to it and a different purpose to it. So, for example, if you preach Revelation and you don't reveal the character of Christ and all you do is fill in timeline points you did it wrong that's what revelation is reveals christ um narrative um in narrative you if you see a movie and which is a narrative you'll know that the meaning and the message of the movie comes through the conflict um we call it a plot so when things clash and then explode into climax and then resolve it's through that process that the meaning of the story reveals itself. Same in the, in the Gospels and in the narratives. That when there's tension, anger, violence, yelling, or disagreement, that's where the meaning is. And then out of that comes action. He yelled this. He said this. He responded this. They, they took him. They punched him. They nailed him. You know, that's where the meaning is. It's in the action. Same with it's, that's how stories are. And so you're, when you're reading Romans, it's propositional. It's explanation. The meaning is in the statements. And so knowing the different genres and where the meaning comes from. So like for me in my preparation, I have a different color code for imperative verbs or action words. Um, tension words like not, stopped, nevertheless, no, you know. Like tension words, I color that purple. Um, uh, orange is words that need deeper explanation. Uh, dark red, bold, I use as um, truth anchors about God, like a statement about God that anchors the, the text. You know, like, uh, work out your salvation, for it is God who works in you. There you have the anchor of the truth, which then makes sense and brings out the meaning of the command. Um, other things. So, so, like, getting to know a certain genre and how each genre reveals its meaning is different. Narrative is different than imperative. Uh, uh, prophecy is different than proverb. So, that, that's really helped me is to kind of get to know where the meaning lies. Great. Let me take the next question. Hi, um, my name is Naomi. Um, I'm one of Pastor Rod's interns for EFM. Um, and my question is, how do you um, speak from the pulpit with there's so much going on in our world? So like when it comes to like politics or race, how do you as a pastor, how do you, excuse me, how do you address that from the pulpit um, to minister to the people in your congregation? So I'll get started on that one. 
Um, so I have this conviction that if, as pastors or people who preach in, in whatever context, if we're not addressing the things that people are actually talking about, then, um, then we're missing it. We're messing up because it's almost like if you can imagine just like we're having this conversation, like argument, this like, you know, we're preaching on something and the whole world is talking about something else and we're having our little conversation you know, what are we doing? We're not addressing people's real questions and things that they're dealing with. Just recently, I, um, I did a poll on my website and online, and I just asked a question, which was, you know, what are some of the biggest things that people struggle with in believing? And so I'm going to turn this into a series, but I got like an overwhelming amount of response. And what that told me was that apparently I'm not answering as many of people's questions as I think I am, right? That people are actually wondering about some things and we need to address them. So there, there has to be a balance though, right? Because if we're always only letting the culture, uh, the outer culture or politics drive how we preach, we can't let that happen either. So we, there needs to be a balance between letting the word speak on its own and stand on its own two legs, so to say, and letting it drive the conversation, but also making sure that we're addressing the things that are, are relevant to our, our society and the questions people are truly grappling with. So. I, I doubt that there was one single pastor on the Sunday after 9-11 that didn't address that issue. That's such a huge, huge thing. And if they did, they missed uh, great opportunities, both not, not just to win people to Christ, but to comfort their people that had their their world had just been shocked. My daughter asked me as we after we watched the the towers fall, her question, she was thirteen or fourteen, she said, Dad, am I gonna be safe at school? And those kind of things were on everybody's mind. So to miss those opportunities, I think it's just I, I don't want to overstate it, but I think it's sad, maybe bordering on foolish, when there's something that has gripped us as a culture. I <laughs> this is not a huge thing, but I'm excited this weekend to to point to the fact that Alexis is laughing at us all. I think that, did, did you guys catch that in the news this last week? Alexis, mm -hmm. the Alexis, uh, I don't have one, but she's laughing for, for no apparent reason. She, and I think, it, what is it, Alexa? See, I don't have one. Um, <laughs> is yours laughing at you at home? <laughs> but she's laughing, and I think that is just so, such a great cultural observation and maybe it's been programmed to laugh at all of us that are talking to a machine in our house with a name that same youth pastor refuses he has one of those in the um i think in what he calls their art studio and he refuses to let the kids call it by a name he calls it computer because he doesn't want to humanize the thing so i don't know why he's got it there but i think it's important to address the the big issues that are hitting you um i, I think I think there's a, oftentimes a misunderstanding in terms of certain uh, Christian ghettos, for lack of a better word. Um, this might sound offensive to some um, or out of the ordinary, but the gospel at its core is actually a socio-political claim. And what I mean by that is the gospel addresses society, a new society, and it addresses politics and just simply the word politics comes from the word, Greek word polis, which means people, how people are organized. And so I think if a, there is a, I think there's a mentality oftentimes within some pastors or churches or leaders where we don't want to get political. And I would say 
you, you may have a misunderstanding of the gospel because the gospel is political. Not political in the sense of like right or left or progressive or Republican or whatever, um, but political in a sense where the, the gospel cares about how, the, how people are organized, how society comes together, because that's what the church is. It is a society. It's a living, breathing society of human beings that are coming together. So issues of race and sexism, the whole Me Too thing, um, I think if, the, if, if leaders are not addressing those things, they're actually missing really profound cultural milestone moments that have radical gospel answers. So um, we, we talk about it at church, at our church, in, our, in my sermons, uh, my teaching. Um, I, Facebook, I oftentimes post stuff on there. How many of you guys don't use Facebook out of curiosity? Do not use Facebook. Yeah, that's funny. I, I have two daughters that are 19 and 21, and they're like, Dad, no, nobody my age uses Facebook anymore. It's just all Instagram story. That's it. Anyways, um, so that's like half of you guys. So anyways, um, the, the point of the matter is, is, is we try to bring those types of things up because I think they're gospel issues. So. Next question, all right. Hi, my name is Em. Uh, I'm the pastor of um, Cross Culture Ministries. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm Rod's intern. Um, but <laughs> um, tagging along with that question, what, as pastors and leaders of your churches, like, what do you guys do practically for the people who have those questions when it comes to political worldviews? Like, how do you guys practically help them and reach out to them to guide them to those, like, sources that can possibly help them, I don't know, understand or, like, I don't know, get involved with the movements and stuff? Okay, so in my city, San Luis Obispo, um, last year, uh, the, the, the women's march, and this is kind of an interesting one. And this, this, so some of you guys might not agree with this, and that's fine. This is my thought on this. Um, our, we had a united community day of prayer that was actually already planned before the women's march, the first women's march happened. My city, San Luis Obispo, had a 10,000 to 11,000 strong march downtown, which was shocking. My city is only 40,000 people. Mm. So people were coming in from all over the place. And it was a cultural milestone moment. And fortunately, we had several hundred Christians that were down there, right in the middle of this whole thing, walking alongside, praying. Now, I would say that there are some things within some of these things that Christians cannot affirm, right? There's some things I, I, I think we, we, can't, we can't affirm. Then there's other things that we can't affirm. We, we can't affirm the, the value of women and how maybe some women are feeling frightened in today's uh, cultural climate, whatever the case is. Um, I think you've got to navigate these things carefully. You've got to be thoughtful and wade through them and ask what are some of the things that can be affirmed, what are some things that obviously you have to say no, um, to try to um, help point people in the right directions. For me personally, um, I've, I, I like to read a lot, and I've, over the past couple years, have done a lot of reading on say, race-related issues on homosexuality, transgender, doing a lot of reading, people that I know that have, that have, that's in their world, people that aren't even Christians, that, that's, that's big things that they fight for. I, I want to know, give me books that you would recommend, that I could read from your world, like that things that you are about. I want to know what those things are. I want to read them, and I want to investigate and understand 
some of those things. So I think a lot of it involves pastors being well-educated themselves, and then to put these things through a gospel lens. What does Jesus have to say, and how do we as Jesus' people, how can we graciously speak to these things um, using their terminology and language and all that, so... So a sermon prep slash teaching question. Um, I got the opportunity to teach in our women's Bible study recently, which was awesome. But the way that it works for us is they have a book that they go through. So, for example, I taught Esther 5, and there's lots of stuff in there. And I know sometimes it's like Esther 5 and 6. So you get these big sections of Scripture you got to go through, and it's kind of like daunting to go through this whole thing. So I want to get your perspective on, like, you know what? I think I might want to, like, just read that section and then skip over it. Like, how do you approach large sections of scripture, and how do you feel about skip, not skipping, but you know what I mean, you have to, how do you balance that, I guess? Yeah, I'll start again. Um, I, I think that as the person who's been asked to teach, there is a degree in which you've been given the imperative to choose what you will speak on and what you won't. In any given text, even if you're speaking on one verse, there are a million different directions you could go with it, and there are things that you will talk about and things that you won't. And so that Christocentric approach is very important in this model. You know, one of the things we talked about in our group was understanding that uh, fourfold outline of the Bible, right? Creation, fall, redemption, restoration, putting the text in there and then going from there. But yeah, I think that you have the prerogative to say, okay, here's the big picture of what's going on in this text and here's the direction we're going to go. And um, you know, maybe you leave out a verse or two, or maybe you focus in on one section. I think that's your prerogative as a teacher. I, I was just going to say the same thing. I think Brian said something funny earlier. I think when I first started, I would read 15 commentaries to totally stress out all week, and I felt like I had to tell everything. I felt like I was cheating people or something. Like I felt like that was the job, and so I just like firehose people with information, and I don't think anything probably stuck. And uh, somebody said this. I don't remember who. Um, I wish I could give him credit, but Good preaching should, there's going to be things that, um, well, the, 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 key, the key is what's important, not just what's interesting. You know, and I think what you said is, uh, somebody mentioned earlier, truth through personality. God's going to show you something. You're going to be excited about it. And kind of answering the question earlier, there's going to be different passages of Scripture you're going to approach. Uh, when you're teaching a huge narrative section, you can still find a big idea, and you might just summarize a paragraph or two, but you're trying to work through this big idea and support that. And so... I would, I'd say don't feel guilty about leaving some of those things out because if, I mean, you could talk for 10 hours on that passage, and like you said, you're never going to fully exhaust it. And so you trust the Holy Spirit is going to speak to you. You're going to get excited about that point, explain it, and, and it's going to hit their hearts. And uh, I think even you said that was kind of depressing, but 1.00% impact. But it was actually kind of enlightening and encouraging, too. It took the pressure off, so yeah. I used to work, I worked under a guy for three years, um, and his goal was to say everything that could possibly be said about every single passage <laughs> in the Bible, and I'm not kidding. It was, it was painful, and um, he would preach regularly for 90 minutes every Sunday, and uh, you know, I, I asked him one time, like, what are you doing? You're killing people with the Bible, and that's almost a crime, like, you should not be allowed to do that. That's, I mean, if you are making people hate the Bible because of the way that you're presenting it, that's not okay. And, uh, you know, I, I really think that's the key. You know, it, it's kind of a cliche, but to say everything is really to say nothing. And so you have to 
pray and seek the Lord and, and, and see where that direction is that you go with that passage. And then, Nick, that guy said back to you, you're exactly right. Thank you for that comment, right? Okay, we're going to keep moving. Um, uh, next question. Hi, so my name is Ryan. I'm another one of uh, Pastor Rod's kids that is EFM internship. Um, so my question is in regards to uh, sermon prep and presentation and so on. Um, I know that in the Calvary movement, we don't necessarily um, align ourselves with topical messages. Um, generally, we try to stay away from those. Every now and again, they come in, but they're just uh, pretty rare. Um, but my question is, when they do come, um, how do you prepare a topical message? And when you present it, is there a difference between your ex, um, exegetical, expositional, verse-by-verse study presentation and then your topical presentation on, say, for example, the idea of pursuing godliness? I think every, every um, sermon is topical. Every sermon is topical. You hit a topic. You hit a theme. You're going to talk about it, develop it. Um, but the kind of sermon you're talking about is definitely, for me, the hardest because the boundaries seem to have been moved, and there's so much material all over the Scripture. And, if, and I want to do, I want to hit, like somebody was saying, I want to say everything that can be said about the topic. I want to be thorough. Sometimes I've started a topical message that turned into a, a topical series because I couldn't get it all into one message. But um, you, you just have to choose, and it's it kind of just a touch back on the question about when you have such a broad passage, I, I take comfort in the fact that I think it's Paul, we can disagree on it, um, you don't have to agree with me, you can, you can be wrong on this, but in Hebrews, I think Hebrews wrote, uh, was written by Paul, but whoever wrote it, they had to edit chapter 11. You can think of some of our favorite people of faith that didn't make it into the topical study on faith there. So you, you got to do the very, very painful thing. How many preachers would admit the most painful thing is editing yourself down? Anybody? Maybe one of the most painful things. But, um, you know, just come, when, when you're doing a, um, uh, a topical message, we have to just do the painful editing and not overload people. I, I had a thought earlier today that um, exposition without adequate application is inundation. You just leave people overwhelmed with all this, the snow shovel approach to uh, throwing all the truth you can possibly throw at them. You got to give them handles at, at some point with those topics. And, and so you, you just got to wade through, the, you got to do the work and wade through the, the process of getting down to a dynamic edit. I always encourage pastors to think, first and foremost, you need to be in touch with how the Holy Spirit's leading you. So first of all, so there's going to be occasions when throughout the year, throughout different seasons and rhythms within the life of the people that you're talking to, certain topics might need to be addressed in a timely fashion, not, you know, once you are at this particular book in the Bible, whatever, which, you know, so as a church, as a teacher, I typically teach expositionally through books of the Bible. But there are occasions where um, because of seasons and circumstances and questions that I'm sensing within the congregation I pastor, they need to be addressed now and not, you know, five years from now, whatever. So, for example, just several months ago, um, towards the end of last year, um, I did like a, I don't know four-week series on cultural intersections. What we I can't remember what we called it, but we addressed homosexuality, we addressed um, 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 hum, uh, just human sexuality in general. We addressed the subject of um, women and how how 
these are cultural elements that were happening within our, in our society. So I took four weeks on a Sunday morning and, and just taught through these things. So again, I'm going to try to anchor them into an exposition. So we'll look at scripture, let, what does scripture have to say about this? But it is, I mean, for most people, they just think, oh, this, this is very topical. Sure, whatever you want to call it, but it's what I feel, based as well as the elders and leaders in our church, that needs to be addressed, that God's leading us to address. So I think it's, as a, as a leader, you've got to be really careful not to fall into some sort of um, yoke that is put upon you or you're putting upon yourself. We're called to follow the Holy Spirit and his leadership and his guidance and all that. And sometimes that is to address certain t- key topical subjects so, in an expositional manner with the scripture read right at the very front end. Okay, we're going to do two. Not an introduction or a joke. Two more. I'm looking at you, David. Two more questions here. One on this side and one over here. If you could uh, give your name, context in which you preach, and then just direct it to one of the guys so that not all five of them are answering. Uh, okay, my name is Gabe. Uh, I teach in the context of anything that's given to me. Uh, I am here through Andy Dean, who is the teacher of our IBS class, through Rod's internship, which is EFM. And I don't have to do IBS homework anymore, right, Andy? Uh, My question is, so all of us in this room, probably not all of us, but we have in this room a makeup of different translations, whether it's like NASB, New King James, ESV, uh, and and my question is, so if you were like teaching from like an iPad, you could you know, have different translations up there at different times. So let's say you have like verse 1 is New King James, verse 2 is ESV, verse 3 is, you know, same thing or something. Uh, do you guys see a problem with, with you know, picking and choosing from different translations, uh, maybe a verse that, that is better clarified in that translation? You know, I can see why maybe because you majority of your congregation has like ESV or something, but... Uh, I mean, does it does that really matter? Do you guys see any flaws? Because I think it'd be, you know, from my perspective, it's pretty cool to be able to choose. Okay, this translation says it better, and I think this one says it more clear. Uh, so, yeah. Riley, you gonna take that one? Sure. Okay, go for it. Um, yeah, I, I think it's a good question, but honestly, I think it's a geeky thing no one cares about, and so it's, it's a, it's like a. San- it's, it's like, um, what I mean is no one in your church is going to be like, I really hope, you know. It, what's, the, what's the path of least resistance? I think, tell people in your church, we teach from the NIV. Simple is better. And they, so they have to buy one Bible. You can send subliminal messages, which is, the Bible is actually really hard to understand. You need ten Bibles. You can. And uh, so what I would recommend is choose a translation. That, But, however, certain phrases are better, like they're clarified or there's helpful ways to do it. Here's what I do. I use that to preach, and I don't tell anybody that I'm actually using it. So, like, if there's a phrase that's better put by the message, I'm just going to explain it using that phrase without telling anybody I explained it using a different translation, because we can do too much of this, where people are looking at cross-reference and word study and Greek word and different translation, and 
rather than holding people here and actually taking them on a journey with us to teach them, I don't think showing them that this verse is here, this verse is here, this is better here, this translation is different. I don't know if that's the simplest way to do it. That's my thought. Great. We're going to go to the next question. Hi, um, my name is Toby. I'm one of the um, pastoral staff at Reality San Francisco. Um, obviously, community groups up there. Yeah. Thanks. Thank you. Um, my question was around uh, sermon illustrations, and I was going to ask Riley that question too. So, uh, How do you source through um, what you want to use in a sermon for illustrations? Um, how do you decide what's important, what's relevant, and how much of your sermon do you actually dedicate towards sermon illustrations? So two things that are really crucial about sermon illustrations. Number one, do not illustrate the explanation. Illustrate the application. Because you can illustrate an explanation if it helps clarify what the text means. But if your illustration simply illustrates the explanation, people walk away going, I know what the text means a little better. But it doesn't help them live different. When in reality, you could just explain it better. So, but if you, exp if you illustrate the application, then you are putting concrete, tangible, real life to what might actually be an abstract principle. Because most people don't understand abstract principles. If you just say, God is faithful to you, so be faithful to him. That's your applicational statement. It's really cool. Maybe people erupt in applause. But it's not going to like, if you anchor that and go, let me illustrate this. And then you show how God was faithful to you. And then you show how you were responded and how it worked out. Then people go, it comes down to earth. Does that make sense? So number one, illustrate the application. Number two, use illustrations that people get like that. So this is really hard for me because I like really weird sci-fi movies. And uh, no one else does. And so I've had to go, oh, this one's bomb. And then I run it by my wife. She goes, what? So using stories about your own life, using your own kids, my dad is amazing at using stories of animals as illustrations. I think it's embarrassing. But he does it awesome. Things that people get that they could visualize like that, and especially, especially if it's from your own life and something you can preach from your own heart, that's, those are the two things that have really helped me with illustration. Thanks for listening. That was good stuff, huh? The next training weekend is going to be in Bradenton, Florida, hosted by Shoreline Church. I'll be there. Pete Nelson will be there. David Guzik and Brian Broderson will be there. And we'll be hosted by the wise, kind, strategic, anointed Pilgrim Benham. Um, and I would love for you to join us. It'll be Friday, November 30th, and Saturday, December 1st. If you are 18 to 34 and interested in growing as a teacher or a preacher of God's word, please consider joining us. 
please visit expositorscollective.com to find out more details and registration for the upcoming training weekend in Bradenton, Florida. I'd love to see you there.